So Luke chapter 5, starting at verse 1. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I'll let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up onto shore, left everything, and followed him. Second reading is from 2 Corinthians, chapter 5, starting at verse 11. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We're not trying to command ourselves to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us, so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we're out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way. We do, not, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone and the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God was making his appeal through us. We implore you, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain, for he says, in the time of my favour, I heard you, and in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favour. Now is the day of salvation. This is the word of the Lord. 
So a chicken walked into a library and uh, walked up to the counter and said, book. Librarian went and found the smallest book, gives the chicken. Chicken walks out, comes back the next day. Book. Gets a bigger book. Happens day after day. Eventually the librarian says, I don't know what's going on with this chicken. Gets the biggest book it can find, straps it on the chicken's back, follows the chicken as it walks out of the library, down the street, into the park, down to a pond. And there on a lily pad is a frog. Says, read it. <laughs> All right. Well, it's my last, uh, my last Bible talk to 10 a.m. here in Kirribilli, and I love this church. I actually became father here um, at, at this congregation. Kids used to run around and, like, get in everyone's way and distract them when they were trying to sing God's praises. So it's lovely to see this place filled with little ones. Um, and I, I love the way that we're a church who loves each other, who cares for each other, who shares life's ups and downs, the big and the little moments. I love the way we pray with one another, sing with one another. But what I love is more than anything else is that we love Jesus and that what matters to Jesus is what matters to us. And so 14 years ago when I walked in the door here, we were a church who were on mission for God. And so my last words to us, 10 a.m. Kirribilli, to, to us is to stay on mission. Be a church that stays on mission. Not, not just talking about those who go to the ends of the earth. I'm talking about all of God's people everywhere who are seeking to see people reconciled to God. Church, church exists, if you think about it, because of mission. That is, it's not just something we do. We are here because we worship a God who is a God on mission, a God who saw a world turned against him, and so he sent his one and only son to seek and save the lost. That son, Jesus, then sent his disciples, who sent disciples who who sent Richard Johnson on the first fleet to Australia to bring the message of Jesus to this new land. You sit here in this beautiful building because there were Christians from ages past who wanted people in the future to know and trust in Jesus. Mission is the reason that this church is here today. The Bible says that the reason the sun came up this morning is because God is patient with this world not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. So the reason that we're here today is to be on mission for God. And transmission is the reason that we will exist into the future. When I talk to people and tell them that I'm a Christian minister, I get that kind of reaction that you'd get if you told them you were opening a civic video store. It's like, isn't that an industry that's kind of going out of business? And it is in all parts of the world where people are just clinging on to the past. But our God is a forward-moving God, a God who is reaching out to the lost and where churches are reaching people who are lost and, and seeking to draw them in, we're seeing lives transformed, people redeemed, families enriched, communities made vibrant, where, where churches are on mission, God is at work and people are growing and that's my prayer and my deepest longing for this church, that we will continue to be a church who are on mission for Jesus. Because as long as there are five million people in this city, many of whom give no recognition to the God who gives them their every breath, then we always have work to do, friends. So 
Let's keep being a church who joins God in his work of seeking and saving the lost. And today is about us preparing for our Conversations That Matter series. So grab out your little cards because these are my parting words of gift to you. Seven convictions that motivate me to be missional. Seven convictions that motivate me to get involved in conversations that matter. Like every good comment in the Christian faith, it's been stolen from someone else. Uh, Andrew Heard from EV Church, I heard him share these, and with his permission, he let me put them on paper for you guys, and let me read them to you. Heaven and hell are real. What God says about people is more true than what I see. The cross is the only way to be saved. Life is short. Love compels me to do everything in my power to share Jesus. Every saint has a part to play, and it will be worth it. I could just say, now go and do it, couldn't I? Because if you've been a Christian for a while, you know that those statements are true. But I want to point out to us how we can find them in this passage, 2 Corinthians Chapter 5, it's one of my favourite passages in the Scriptures. I'd love you to have it open, 2 Corinthians 5, page 995 there in our Bibles. I want to point out to us how we can find those truths there and how the Conversations That Matter series is a great avenue for us to put these convictions into action in our lives. So conviction number one, heaven and hell are real. We've just spent the last five weeks in our eschatology series thinking about the realities of heaven and hell, and it's been surprising the reactions that I've noticed as I've had conversations with people. And I wonder if it's just because we don't think about these realities enough. We don't stop and let them sink in and drive our every actions, but we must. We must. They are real. They are coming. It's guaranteed. Take a look with me in the verse before our reading, chapter 5, verse 10. It says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due for us, the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Friends, there's no beating around the bush. The Bible says that the only people who are going to be able to stand before the judgment seat of God and be safe are forgiven people. And the only way to be forgiven is through Jesus. So the terrifying reality of that is that most of the people we know and love in our lives are standing unprepared before the judgment seat of Jesus Christ. That means that they have the fire of God's judgment kindled under them. Remember Richard Koken's illustration from... The winter escape, it was BC, before COVID, you may not have been there, but it was a wonderful illustration to remind us how urgent it is. So he speaks about walking home late, late one night, and you're just about to turn the corner into your house, and you notice out of the corner of your eye, there in your neighbour's house, a small fire is kindled in the basement. What do you do? just a small fire. <laughs> oh, look, they're, they're, probably all, they're probably all comfortable, like they're probably asleep. I don't, 
Shame to wake them up. It's embarrassing. I haven't been over for three months. This is the first thing I say. There's a fire. Bit, a bit awkward. Oh, gosh, would you look at the time? It's been, it's been such a big day. You know, I've already helped someone. I helped Doris at the office work out how to use Excel spreadsheets, you know. I've done, oh, maybe, maybe tomorrow. No, friends, little fires become big fires and big fires kill. Friends, the Bible says that unless people are forgiven and prepared to meet Jesus, then the fire of God's judgment is kindled underneath them. And you just do anything you can to wake them up. It doesn't matter. You plead, you implore, you beg, you cry, you do whatever to to say, wake up, you're in great danger. God says that there is a fire of judgment and it is coming. And the only way to be saved is to receive his forgiveness, which is only his to offer. And the only way to receive that forgiveness is through his son. And that's reflected in our next two missional convictions. Conviction two, what God says about people is more true than what I see. You know, most people won't believe you if you tell them there's a fire coming. They look so happy. Their Islam or their Hinduism provides them with such meaning in their lives. Their morning yoga, their Wim Hof breathing techniques is making them so satisfied and calm and collected in their lives. And they might be the most well-balanced person you've ever seen. But if God says they're a sinner in need of a saviour, that is more true than whatever is before your eyes. Paul says so much in verse 16 of our reading. So from now on, he concludes, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Do you remember John Best? Many of you may have known John. He served on the ministry team here. And uh, John decided to move from here to a church near his home in the eastern suburbs. And I remember saying to him soon before he left, John, how nice to return to a church in the eastern suburbs. He says, you know what I see when I look at the eastern suburbs, Ed? I see an elevator comfortably and blindly taking thousands and thousands of souls to an eternal destiny in hell. It's like, wow, that's a different way of looking at the eastern suburbs, John. You know that? But that's what he sees. And that's what motivated him to get back to amongst his neighbours, amongst the people around him, and seek to share Jesus. Conviction three. The cross is the only way to be saved. The Bible says that what stands between sinful people like you and me is not a really, really long distance, and, and the Holy God is not a really long distance. It's not lots of questions that we need to know the right answers to. It's not good works that can outweigh bad works. What stands between sinful people and a holy God is a lifetime of rebellion and sin. So if this Bible represents the sin of our lives, and it's a terrible representation because nothing could depict the enormity of the daily ways that we break God's heart again and again. But this sin barrier blocks us, cuts us off from a holy God. And only one person has ever lived a life of sinless perfection. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, lived every moment of his life in loving God with his whole heart, mind, soul and strength, loving his neighbour as he loved himself. 
And you see where that leaves Jesus perfectly in relationship with his loving God. But our God didn't want to leave things that way, did he? Take a look there in verse 19. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. How could he do it? Verse 21 is the most wonderful gospel summary. Simple words explaining the great exchange of the cross. God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us. All of this onto all of him. See where that leaves us. So that in Jesus, we could become the righteousness of God, perfect access to a holy God. And then Jesus took that sin and took it to the grave. The only way to be right with God is to be forgiven by God. And God wouldn't have gone to such extreme lengths to lay down the life of his one and only son if there was any other way that we could be made right with him. The only way to be right with God is to be forgiven by God. And the only way to be forgiven by God is through the cross of Jesus Christ. Conviction four. Life is short. Those are three very important words that we should keep repeating to ourselves. Life is short. Not just your life, but the lives of the people that you long to share Jesus with. So on Thursday night, my father was over for dinner, and my father, who after 36 years of a wife who has become a Christian, my mum, he still holds out on a relationship with God. And, uh, and my father shared that he has lots of pain in his calf, and mum's worried it might be deep vein thrombosis. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I'm on. I, I must talk with him about his soul. Like, time is short. Could this be it? And so I'm awkward. I'm, I'm trying to like get through small talk because I want to get to bigger talk. I'm trying to look for opportunities. We're barbecuing, talking about the footy, but I'm trying to see some in to speak about his soul. And true to form with my dad, no opportunity comes. So as I'm walking him out to the car, I say to him, Dad, you know, um, I'm blabbering my way through this. I, I, Dad, I love you so much and, you know, there's nothing more important to me <clears throat> that you might have a right relationship with God and, and to know him and that's just the most important thing. I'm thinking I'm a minister. Surely I should be better at this kind of stuff. But when it's your dad, it's just so acute. And, you know, a while back I was speaking here at church and speaking about taking up your cross and following Jesus. And a woman came up and spoke to me who's married to an unbelieving husband. She said, you know, when Jesus tells me to take up my cross each day, I think the cross he wants me to take up is relational tension with my husband. Because it's really easy to just let it slide. It's really easy to stop asking the questions, to stop bringing it up, to just let me do my God thing and him do his thing. And I wonder if that's what we need to do. I wonder if we need to become more comfortable with relational tension. Because that was certainly the case for Jesus. He lived a life of being rejected by those he loved. Are we willing to risk it and risk that experience of being rejected by people that we love? God loves to work through our weakness, and I wonder if maybe we stepped into that place a bit more. 
we might see him working more in the lives of people we love. Conviction five. Love compels me to do everything in my power to share Jesus. You know, if I'm totally honest, one of the biggest things that stands in my way of speaking to my friends about Jesus is me. I'm concerned what they think about me, what, what they'll think of my reputation, whether they'll keep inviting me to their parties. I'm concerned about whether I'll stuff it up if they ask me tough questions or <clears throat> if the conversation turns awkwardly towards same-sex marriage, transgender or the split in the Anglican church. What am I going to say when I get asked these things? But what's the loving thing to do? It's not to think about me. It's to think about them. And, and what's loving for them is to be reconciled to God, even if they don't think they need to be. Take a look at verse 14 of our passage, chapter 5, verse 14. Paul says, For Christ's love compels us, because we're convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. His words literally are, Christ's love controls us. It's got a grip on us. Because we used to live for ourselves, Paul was passionately pursuing his own agenda to obliterate Christianity, and then Jesus took hold of him. And now that love controls him because he's convinced that Jesus' death is sufficient for everyone. And therefore, look at the conclusion, verse 15. And Jesus died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. I was a very active evangelist at university. And I remember feeling completely deflated one day after just finding it so hard to cut through to the students of UTS Karingai. And I was having lunch with my Christian mate, Steve, and uh, it was one of those conversations where I can remember where I was and what I was doing when he made the comment, because it's kept me going for years. Steve said to me, you know, Ed, we've got to keep going. Because when we all stand before the judgment seat of Jesus, we want these friends, if they're not going to be standing with us, we want these friends to look at us and say, I should have listened. You don't want any of them to turn and say, why didn't you tell me? Interestingly, Paul speaks of two motivations in this passage for sharing Jesus with those in our lives. The first one he speaks of is fear. It is right to be fearful of what is coming. The second one is love. Now, fear is going is to help. It's going gonna, it's gonna to drive us along. And I know that I'm making the church uncomfortable by driving this Conversations That Matter series because we're actually going to do it, friends. We're going to have the conversations with the people in our lives and we're going to try and lead them towards Jesus. And that's uncomfortable. And it's difficult. But that series will end and the heat will come off and fear might wear away. But love will keep you going because you can't really love someone and not long for them to know God. Conviction number six. Every saint has a part to play. But what if I'm not called by God to be part of it all, Ed? I'm a, I'm a background server. I'm a... I'm a kitchen kind of person. I like to do the, the things no one notices. Not long ago, I met um, Pastor Song. Pastor Song is a Thai pastor, and uh, he sometimes comes to our everyday English ministry. 
Pastor Song runs a Thai church in Sydney, a Thai church in Canberra, and a Thai church in Thailand. And I thought Kiribati Neutral Bay and Macquarie Park was challenging. This guy has got lots going on. And he says, I'll say it with the accent because I think it was a bit funnier that way. He says, Pastor, Pastor, many, many people come to me and say, Pastor, Pastor, I don't feel the call. I say to them, you have Bible, don't you? Jesus says, go, there's your call. I was like, there it is. <laughs> Simple as that. And it's there for us, isn't it? In verse 20, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. The question is not whether or not you want to be an ambassador. What does he say there? We are Christ's ambassadors. You are an ambassador for Jesus. The question is actually whether or not you're a good one. It's scary to think that Paul perhaps suggests that we could not be doing our job. Chapter 6, verse 1, as God's co-workers. What a privilege. God has called you to be a co-worker. God says, join me in the work I'm doing in the world. As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, now, down the bottom of verse 2, now is the time of God's favour. Now is the day of salvation. Today is the day to join God as a co-worker in his work of reconciling, himself to, uh, reconciling people to himself through Jesus. One way we're going to do it, and I'm not saying this is the only way, but one way we're going to do it, church, is we're going to do it through the Conversations That Matter series. Conversations That Matter is about actually starting the conversations with the people in our lives that direct us towards Jesus, that will lead towards conversations about Jesus. I'm having so much trouble cutting through to talk about more than just the sport and the kids and all these things. And so this is an intentional step in the right direction. Up on the screen there, you'll see the three questions we're exploring over the three weeks of our Conversations That Matter series. Is there meaning to life? Is this coming week? How can you know there's a God the week after? And finally, do all paths lead to God? We're inviting our friends to come and discuss these with us. And we'd love you to host conversation nights or events in your connect groups. And if you're not in a connect group, you can come here on Tuesday nights where we're having our central conversation nights. So I'm going to tell us what our Tuesday nights are going to look like. And if you're part of a connect group, I want you to use your own creativity to think what it might look like for you. Each Tuesday conversation night will be hosted like a cocktail party. And so we're going to have drinks, cheese platters, we're going to have the most normal, welcoming vibe, music, all that stuff. So everything we can do to make this place as friendly and welcoming as we can on a Tuesday night. And every guest who comes will be greeted with a little meet conversation cards. These are just silly conversation starters to get you going. What's the most annoying habit someone can have? Or if you could learn the answer to one question about your future, what would the question be? So we're just going to mingle and chat for a bit. And then people will take their place in around small tables of around eight, and they're going to sit on tables and we'll explain the theme of the night. I'm going to be emceeing. We'll explain the theme of the night and the rules of engagement. There's three rules. Every opinion's welcome. Every guest is here to guide the conversation. And God gave you two ears and one mouth, so use them proportionally as you learn from one another. Then we watch a video a video that's thought-provoking about the topic of the night. 
Those videos have been produced by Apologetics Canada, and they present, from a secular view, an answer to the question. They're great videos. You can see them. They're up on our YouTube channel uh, under a playlist there called Conversations That Matter. Then it's over to the groups. 50 minutes for everyone there to, be, uh, to discuss the topic. And we're guided by three bundles of cards that are on our tables. We've got a discuss pile, a think pile, and a break pile. Discuss are just discussion starters. So do you think that it's important to think into the meaning of life? Why, why not? Think pile is more sort of ones that you could ponder and then just turn into discussion. Uh, do you think it's arrogant to claim that you know the meaning of life? And then if it's all getting heated, boring, or needs to be mixed up, we've got these break piles. And that's just a funny break. Like, what actor would you get to play you in a movie? 50 minutes just to start a conversation, to talk with the people around you, to listen, to learn from those in your life. And it's primarily a listening and learning exercise because we know a few things, don't we? We know that people like to be heard before they're ready to listen. We know that people don't care what you know until they know that you care. And what we also know is that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And so we're not afraid to air all sorts of ideas and understandings. In fact, actually, we encourage bringing everything to the surface. Let's talk about our friends' views and understandings, and as they bring it up and articulate it, they might actually become convinced of how inconsistent or incoherent it is because Jesus is the only one who makes perfect sense of this world. And so we hope that it might whet their appetites to come along on Sunday and hear a response from the Bible. And so our nights will finish at 9 o'clock, nice and early for a school night, and the preacher will get up for the Sunday and give a one-minute blurb inviting you to come along to church on Sunday and hear a response, and that's it. Just a simple conversation starter. So who could you invite? Who could come with you? Final conviction, conviction number seven. It will be worth it. Read with me the last sentence of our Bible reading, chapter 6, verse 2. I tell you, now is the time of God's favour. Now is the day of salvation. Every day the sun comes up is a day that God is being merciful, that God is extending his offer to come home to him. But one day the sun will not come up. One day the Son of God will return. And on that day, and 10,000 days beyond that, and 10,000 years beyond that, and 100,000 years into eternity, if that friend that you risked it for is there with you, if that friend that you were socially uncomfortable for, risked rejection, just were brave, stepped out, overcame whatever nerves or whatever was going on in you so that you could lead them towards Jesus, if they are there with you, it will be worth it. I promise you it will be worth it. God promises you no matter what you do in your, your service of him, no matter what risks you take for him, it will be worth it. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to think about three people and write down their names, three people that you could invite to come and start a conversation that matters. But before we do that, we're going to hear from 
a member of our church who is a role model in inviting, getting rejected, trying again, having success. So I'm going to invite Rachel Dale to come on up, and she's going to share her experience of inviting others to church, church events, things like Alpha and Explore. So, uh, Rach, um, tell us a story of someone you've invited to something at church. Okay, I'll share about a couple of people I've invited. I've had more people say no than yes, just putting that out there first. Um, A number of years ago, I met a woman at Playtime, um, and her two children are the same age as our youngest two children, and I got to know her, and I got to know her well, and I invited her to do a course that we were doing at the time. It wasn't Alpha, it was something different, and she said yes, and she came along. Um, And then after that course, um, she eventually joined my Bible study and she became a believer and she's been on a great journey since then. So that was my great story. (laughs) Um, uh, But I've had many times where people have said no. Just one recently, um, I caught up with an old neighbour of mine um, who has come to carols. So she said yes to some things. She's come to carols before in the past. Um, I think she's even come to church once. But I invited her to do Alpha because one of the best things that's come out of COVID is Alpha online, (laughs) being able to do that because she doesn't live in the area. But she said no. (laughs) But we're still friends. (laughs) And so tell us, Rachel, how do you respond when people say no to you? Mm -hmm. And what do you do when people say yes? Well, if people say yes, that's great. I make sure I'm here. I make sure I come and do the course with them, that kind of thing. Um, Yeah. Lots of rejections. I had one just recently uh, at school, um, but it was quite a funny one. Um, I was at a school function. It was actually book week. Book week parade was on, which is my least favourite week of the year. But I went to book week parade, and I happened to stand next to a lady I know called Liz. She's the president of the PNC. She knows I'm a Christian because we've had lots of conversations before, and she just said to me, you've got access to higher powers. Can you just pray it's not going to rain? Because it was very overcast. And I should have said to her, well, you have access to higher powers too, but I didn't. Instead, I said to her, of course, Liz, I am praying and I'll keep praying. And if it doesn't rain, will you come to church with me? (laughs) She said no. But anyway, (laughs) she's still a friend. Um, And we still, it won't stop me from having conversations with her. Um, I do try and make the most of opportunities that I have. I mean, I cover everything in prayer. Another example is with my neighbours, my current neighbours, who I found really quite hard to get to know from anything, any kind of deep level. Um, But recently, in what I can only describe as a very God-ordained moment, I had the opportunity, those barriers, those walls have been broken down a bit, and I bit the bullet and I invited them, her and my other neighbour, to have coffee, having not done that before. And they both jumped at it, and we've been having coffee ever since, some of which they're initiating, and I found out that they... The only time we're all available is a Wednesday morning, so I try to keep Wednesday mornings free in case the opportunity arises. But actually, the, one of the hardest ones that I find and the one that I keep praying about, and this has been going on for 22 years, and he's still not a believer. This is my brother-in-law. His name's Michael. I love him deeply. Um, he's the only member of his family who is not a believer. He has watched his brother die. He's watched both his parents die. He's been to most, the most beautiful Christian funerals yet he's still not a believer. But it hasn't stopped me from asking and praying for him. And actually one of the most embarrassing times I asked him was a couple of years ago. I asked, he's come to church a couple of times at Christmas, um, only because we kind of coordinate Christmas events around a service so that he's got no excuse. Um, but a couple of years ago I asked him to do Alpha and he said, well, what happens there? What is it about? And I couldn't actually answer him because <laughs> I didn't know. I was quite embarrassed. So that prompted me to go and do Alpha. 
um, and helped lead on a table, said I knew what it was about, and then I went back to him and I said, Michael, this is what it's about, you should come. He said no. But <laughs> um, we keep praying, we still have opportunities to have good conversations with him. So I think when people say no, it doesn't stop me from still pursuing them. <laughs> Maybe I'm that annoying person. But yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Rachel. Thank you for sharing. So now it's over to us, church. Uh, who could we invite? I'm going to give you a moment to identify three people that you want to pray for and be courageous in reaching out to, and then I'm going to lead us in prayer. So I'll give you a moment to write down those names, and I'm going to lead us in prayer for them. Merciful Heavenly Father, we sit here today because you inspired someone to be courageous and share Jesus with us. Now, Lord, it is our turn. Thank you for inspiring us to identify the names of these three friends. You must love them, Lord, because you want us to invite them to start a conversation that we pray would lead them to knowing Jesus. Please be merciful to them. Please go before us so that the circumstances of their lives will mean that this invite is just what they're waiting for, that this conversation is just what they need to have. Lord, in the book of Acts, you shook the room that the early church sat in as they asked for boldness to keep on speaking about Jesus. So we pray that you would shake our hearts and the hearts of every member who calls the Bridge Church our home to have boldness to invite our friends. We pray that we would act now while it is the time of your favour and now while it is still the day of salvation. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Saviour and our King.